Whoa, what is that? I don't know. What is that? Is that a... What? It could, could that be a... It's Bible a... It's a Bible bomb! bomb! Hey, this is Landon. This is Philip. And we are your Bible Bomberman. Let's, Let's drop some bombs! Never buy sugar-free gummy bears. Why not? I figured out yesterday. <laughs> I, oh, I bought some during during work, and I bought some gummy bears because I thought, oh, they're sugar-free, and that'll so they won't be as bad. They're aspartame-free, so I can have this as part of my lunch. And then while I was at schools, giving Coke to uh, putting Coke in their vending machines. I felt so bad because right behind me were a bunch of teachers taking their break and let's just say gas was coming out of my body <laughs> like oh, what and non-stop. <laughs> I ate the whole bag of gummy bears during lunch and what yeah. kind of lunch and then is when that? I got home I was sitting on the toilet for a long time. Let's just say that. So make sure Moral if you buy yeah, if you buy sugar free gummy bears, do not uh, eat them unless you have a toilet nearby. Just, okay. Just saving everybody some I'm very stories. happy to know that. Yes. Okay, first I want to give a shout out to, I'll, I'll call him the sponsor of the day, to uh, Jeremiah Hostetter for advertising Bible Bomb to Alan Hunter. <laughs> um, we appreciate that. That was great. That was. I don't understand what you meant by... Uh, Semi-organian... Semi-organian. Yeah. Why? I have I mean, organian blood in my body. Barely. I mean, <laughs> I'm half organian. So does that make this podcast also a semi-Californian? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yep. There's even some Hawaii in there too. And Montana, mm. some Colorado mixed in, and some Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we hope you enjoy this podcast, Alan. Anyways, <laughs> um, we're here to talk about. Romans seven. Romans seven, one of the most controversial. One of the most. I'm not not even sure if it is controversial because well, a lot of people, like there isn't a whole lot of debate as there should be on this. Yeah, passage. yeah. There, but there are two main views that we're going to talk about. I would today. say it's one of the most misunderstood yeah. passages of scripture and one of the most abused. <laughs> yeah, the main two views is is he talking about himself before or after he was saved? And the one view, the main view, the most popular one is the one that we're not taking. And I think... Because why would we do that? <laughs> I think you'll see after this episode our reason, our reasoning on why we don't agree that um, he's talking about after salvation during chapter 7. Then some people don't even know what Romans 7 says. Yeah. So, <laughs> and but during this, I want to also point out some reasons why people believe that Romans 7 is after, why they believe it's after he's been saved throughout this podcast. So, And we'll answer those challenges as well. Want to read the, the part? Romans chapter 7, and we're specifically talking about verses 14 through 25. I'm just going to read this out of its context, the part that everybody likes to quote. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. 
For I know that uh, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very thing, sorry, I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. All right, so according to this passage, Paul was wretched. Wretched. It's a fun word. Wretched. He couldn't stop sinning no matter how hard he tried. Yeah. Now, I remember there was a preacher, uh, he was going through this, uh, he, he, he was going through this passage of was saying how encouraging this was because Paul was an apostle. Basically saying he was an apostle, but he struggled. So it's encouraging to us because uh, we struggle too. There, there's a nothing more encouraging than knowing that that the same guy who wrote imitate me as i imitate christ was a miserable sinner so encouraging <laughs> it's really uplifting now okay there's that was um sarcastic sarcasm okay although people do believe that so. people do believe that what's the deal with romans 7 because any honest person who looks at this passage at face value has to come to the conclusion that the bible has a major discrepancy here is how could Paul, who told the Corinthians to become sober-minded and stop sinning, also say that we are sold into bondage to sin? That the same Paul who wrote, cleanse yourself from all defilement, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, basically says it cannot be done here in Romans chapter 7. Now, that's if you're taking this at face value. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, that's the first, that's the first reason that uh, a people will think that this is, he's talking about after salvation, is number one. It's uh, people take it as relatable when they know they've been struggling with a certain sin. It is relatable. Sins, so they, they take it like that. And so they'll see it as something that they can relate with uh, with Paul and be like, oh, he's struggling. He's, he can't stop sinning just like me. So it must be okay. So they're, it's easy to believe what you want to believe. It's comforting. It's also understandable because Romans 7, this section, is kind of blocked off when you read it out of context, and a lot of people read chapter by chapter. Just like if you read Romans 6 by itself, you would get the exact opposite <laughs> conclusion. So that's why it's not... Um, that's why when you read Romans 7 in isolation, especially the second half, this is why you can get this impression right here. Even the first half is helpful to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the first thing. The second reason, and this is more convincing than that, because you should never take personal experience to interpret the Bible. That's a bad no, idea. Don't do that. <laughs> but it does happen, but you should never do it. So the second reason, though, is a little bit more understandable, where uh, people read it and they see present tense, and they're like, oh, present tense? He's talking about himself as he's writing Romans the inspired scripture of God. So how can present tense, how can he be writing in present tense as he's saved if he wasn't saved? So he obviously he's saved, talking about himself right here, right now. And that is a lot more understandable. But as we know in English and any language, present tense doesn't always, isn't always 
present. Present. <laughs> it depends on the context. And even more so in Koine Greek, which is the original mm-hmm. uh, language in the Bible, which uh, the verbs in Koine Greek do not work the same way that English verbs do. So this will just strengthen the argument that uh, the context is even more important than you may think. And you should already think, even in English, you should should already (laughs) think context is king. But in English, our verbs are focused on time. They're associated with time. Like, here's an example, run, ran, running, walk, walked, walking. They're all like, you kind of think, oh, walked is past, walk, walk, walk is, is, could be multiple things, walking is present, things like that. But in Greek, time is believed to have a very, very, very tiny association with the verb. And a lot of the time, most of the time, there's no association with time at all. That's where the aspect theory comes in. This is the most up-to-date, most uh, respected scholarship uh, that talks about aspect theory. And it focuses on perspective instead of time. So I'm going to read a tiny section from my intermediate Greek grammar. Yes, that's what the book is called. It sounds <laughs> intermediate Greek grammar. It's a boring <laughs> title, but, <laughs> but that's what it's called. And there's, uh, I have a couple other Greek grammars that say the exact same thing. So um, it says, there are three fundamental aspects in Greek, perfective, imperfective, and stative. The imperfective aspect, this is the one that we're looking at in Romans 7, looks at an action as in progress, as developing or unfolding. It has sometimes been referred to as the internal viewpoint. It is a more close-up view of the action seen from the perspective of its internal makeup. The verb tense forms used to indicate this aspect are the present and imperfect. This, And he uses present. So... That's what people are getting hung up on is looking at it from an isolated English viewpoint where they see, oh, this is talking about present tense without Mm -hmm. the context. Uh, That might sound a little confusing. Like, what in the world is he talking about? In our English translations, Romans chapter 7 and in the original, yes, what we read is in present tense here. He's saying the thing I, I want to do, I don't do, you know. He's, he, it sounds like he's talking about now. But something that Greek writers would do in the first century is that they would write in present tense to take you back in time to something that happened previously. Yep. So it was a common practice for, for Greek writers uh, to do that. So most of our modern tra- translations change the verb to past tense ju- just throughout the Bible and in, in, in the story of, of uh, Jesus. There's actually quite a few instances where things were, were, were written in present tense but our modern translators changed them to, to past, past tense, tense because yeah. it makes more sense for us yeah. so in the modern literal version which is i would recommend uh, checking out the modern uh, literal version of the bible does not change the tenses for example the modern literal version of john 6 19 through 20 says therefore having rowed approximately 25 or 30 furlongs they viewed jesus walking upon the sea I'm sorry I read that wrong. They view Jesus walking upon the sea and happening to be near the ship, and they were afraid. But he says to them, I am here. Do not be afraid. All right, see what happened? John was using present tense verbs to transport you back Mm -hmm. to the scene where he says they view Jesus. (laughs) That's present tense. Or he says to them. So there's actually a lot of that throughout 
throughout the Gospels and Acts, yeah. where it's written in a present tense form, but it's talking about something that happened previously. And here's a easy way to remember that too is as uh, as I said earlier, perspective versus time. We get caught up at, at, in time in English. It's a lot more about perspective. And Paul is talking about himself. That's true. That yeah. That's he's talking about himself in the moment at the time in the past. But that's that's the reason why we're focusing on the internal perspective and not an outward perspective. Okay, we keep mentioning context, and this is the most important thing. You don't even need to know Greek, any of this stuff, to get the right context. You don't need to know Greek. It just strengthens the view even more. But context is king in every language. You'll hear the word context even more as we we go through this episode. (laughs) So here's the basic layout of Romans 7, and it's, it's a series of four different questions that are asked in... The first question is, or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Well, he answers that. Verse 4, therefore, my brethren, you are also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So, yes, we are bound to the law until we die. That's the answer to question number one. Question number two is in verse seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And he answers it in this very verse. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. And I could keep going. But is the law sin? No, it's not. That's the second question. Then another question in verse 13. He asked, therefore, did that which is good, he's talking about the law, become a cause of death for me? He answers it again. May it never be. So no, the law is not the cause of sin. Then the fourth and last question, verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of this death? And then 25, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one who saves us from our body. I thought he was going to say may it never be again. (laughs) No. And so, and, and he goes more... This is at the very end of the chapter. So he does continue on answering that question in uh, the beginning of chapter. So Paul does. He likes to ask questions, especially in Romans. So that's the basic layout of the chapter. It's a question after question, and each question is its own little section. So that's important for context. What is he asking and what is he answering? Now, there's even greater context because Romans chapter 7 is in the very middle of a big, not, not a super big, but a Big letter. The biggest letter of the New Testament. What <laughs> letter? A? Just no. Kidding. Just leave the dad <laughs> jokes to me. I'm just kidding. Yeah, hey. No. Uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about paganism, talks about the evil that the world does, and then Romans chapter 2 talks about you Jews are just as guilty of that. Romans chapter 3 is about, just in case you haven't figured it out, both Jew and Gentile are guilty of sin. Romans chapter 4 talks about justification by faith it's not by works that you're saved but it's by faith he gives abraham as the example romans chapter 5 he talks about sin and how god's grace is bigger how how uh, it, it doesn't matter how much sin there is grace is going to cover all that sin so then he asked that question in romans chapter 6 verse 1 what shall we say then are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase 
my fa- my favorite answer. May, <laughs> May it, it never, never be. be. Yeah. How shall Paul we? Loves that line. Right <laughs> How there. shall we? I should say that sin? more often. <laughs> well, I like the Teen James version says, "God forbid." I should. Uh, when my <laughs> boss asks me, "Do you want to work on Friday?" I should be like, "May, May it never be." be. <laughs> That'd be great. May yeah. it never be. Then he says, "How shall we who died to sin still live in it?" Here's where we get to possible contradictions. If Romans chapter seven is talking about Paul's current reality, because he talks about how we're dead to sin. Now, being dead means unresponsive. You can't yeah. tempt a dead person. Now, obviously, a Christian, the Bible talks about how Christians can be tempted, but it also talks about how God provides a way out. So, a dead person is going to be unresponsive. Verses 3 through 4, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we too might watch in newness of life. This death takes place in baptism. We're yep. raised as a new creation. Verse 5 says, For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old self, okay, this is important, old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, that body's to be done away with? Yeah, for he who has died is freed from sin. In Romans chapter 7, does that sound like slavery to sin, what Paul is describing? No, because he says we would no longer be slaves to sin. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah. so why in, why in chapter 7 does he say he's sold into the bondage of sin? Re- remember, in Romans chapter 6, this is still in the context of what happens when we're baptized. Yeah. A lot of people, they try to make this out to be, this is talking about the future uh, resurrection. Well, come on, that doesn't make any sense with what Paul is talking about. <laughs> Uh, For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now verse 11 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. It says, Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now how could you... Look in the mirror and say, I am dead to sin. I'm alive to God. And at the same time say, wretched man that I am. I can't stop sinning. (laughs) I've been sold into bondage of sin. But I'm dead to sin. Yeah. See, See, verse 11, that's a commandment. Mm -hmm. Consider yourself dead to sin. (laughs) All right. So you can see how there might be a a problem. Now, an atheist might come and say, well, this is a contradiction. The Bible contradicts itself. Well, no, actually, it's not a contradiction. (laughs) It's yep. just you just have to put things in context. Yep. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Romans chapter 7 sounds like Paul is letting reign, or it, it sounds like he's letting sin reign in his mortal body. Do not go on presenting mm. the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. It sounds to me like if you're not under law, then sin is not master over you anymore. All right. That's and Romans what it cha- sounds like. Romans chapter 7, he's describing someone whose sin is master over him. He just, yeah. he is. Yeah. Interesting. So as, as we read this, that's like, um, there is a right answer here. 
you can't you can't take the middle ground and be like, well, they're both. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes uh, you can't win, and sometimes you can't. I mean, it, it it's doesn't one or the sense. other. Yeah. All <laughs> right. You, Verse fifteen. Another question. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. There we go. One or the other right yep. there. One or the other. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. That's an obvious reference to baptism there. Verse 18. Mm-hmm. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Ooh. So you were already yeah. freed from sin and became slaves of righteousness when you were obedient to that yeah. form of doctrine. It's interesting. Remember the words of Jesus: "You you can't serve two masters." Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And yeah, you're a slave of righteousness or a slave to sin. You can't be both, because that would mm-hmm. mean you have two masters. Verse nineteen. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, as a baptized Christian, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. All right, so uh, notice how there's a process here. You you first present your members, that's talking about your body, your body, you know, as slaves to righteousness, and that will result in sanctification. So it's a process. It's not, you're not automatically going to be perfect all at once but Mm -hmm. right now what you need to do is present your members as slaves to righteousness verse 20 consider yourself dead to sin otherwise you won't um that won't result in sanctification so verse 20 says for when you were slaves of sin and you were you were free in regard to righteousness therefore what benefit were you deriving from things of which you are now ashamed for the outcome of those things is death sounds to me like what Romans 7 was talking about the outcome of those things are death yeah but now, having been freed from sin, once again, if you didn't understand it the first time, you are you have been freed from sin already, not when you are resurrected on the last day. You have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so for some reason, time, yeah. Next time someone says all slavery is bad, nope. You can be slave to God. <laughs> yep. That's the kind of slave I want to be. It's slavery to God is freedom. For some reason, people like to live verse, verse 23 out of its context. Say, yep, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, so we can sin all we want. Yeah, mm. after after 22 verses talking about how, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, May it never it's be. one or the other. All you, right, so if you haven't figured it out, but Can't Romans chapter 6, sides. we are not slaves of sin once we become Christians. As, what, how many times was that said? <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> so when Romans chapter 7 comes and he says we're slaves of sin. Um, Got to make you question. Something. Yeah, what's he talking about here? And yeah. it's, okay, it's okay if you're confused yeah. by that at first. These chapters are so dense. 6 through 8, Romans 6 through 8 is some of the most dense stuff. Like you... You can pull so many lessons out of these. Yes, these Romans chapters. Chapter, right? uh, the book of Romans is one of the the, yeah. the Hebrews, richest. Both Hebrews, Hebrews and, and Romans. Romans are like the richest books yeah. of the Bible, just full of rich theology, and you have to yeah. really study it. You gotta let the Bible explain itself. <laughs> so then comes Romans chapter seven. He asks that question again. 
Here's the question about question number one. jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. He, he, he talks about, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an, an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. I think it's funny how people use this as a proof text. To say, yeah. yeah, once your spouse is dead, you can remarry. Yeah. I mean, I, mean not, sure. I guess, but that's not what this is talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, and this is important because um, he, when he's asking the question, he's like, are you bound to the law forever? No. And what he's saying here is, well, no, you have to die first, though. So this law, once you are uh, become alive to the law, which I don't think we've got to there yet, but once you've been alive to the law, you are bound to it until you die. It says, therefore, my brethren, you are also made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you may be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, when does a person bear fruit for God? Jesus said, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off. We bear fruit for God right now, right? I mean, we're supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> so the dying to the law takes place before that. Yeah. So dying to the law is not dying in the future. Once again, in the, the, the same context, dying when we were baptized. Yeah. So dying to sin, dying to law takes place in our baptism. Verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, notice we're not in the flesh anymore, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So he goes on to say we have been released from the law. Yes. <laughs> and this is where you die. This is how this is how you die. You you get buried in baptism and then you rise again in the newness of the spirit. So here comes the second question. What shall we say is the law sin? Basically saying is the law bad then if you have to die to it to be in the spirit? Here. May it never, May it never be. be. There we go. <laughs> On the contrary, I would not have come. That this is Paul speaking. I would not have come <laughs> to know sin, except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." All right. So the law is what lets him know about sin. Is what it's. It's what lets all of us know about sin. It, and and. In Galatians, it says the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So everyone has to go through law, not necessarily going through what the, you had to in the law of Moses, having to be circumcised and stuff. But you have to go through the process of knowing what is sin and, and what's not. Mm -hmm. Verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. There we go. All right, so that's how the law, um, well, yeah, yep. that's how it works. Yep. So, no, the law is not evil, but the law is, is there to prove when I mean, you're evil. Do <laughs> not covet sin. is a good commandment. It is, it is. It's a good thing. All, all the law, all the commandments in the law were good. There was nothing of evil about it. In Hebrews, it says fi finding fault with them, the people. <laughs> the people mm -hmm. could not keep it. Yeah, so it, it shows your, how evil you are more than the, <laughs> the, <Yes>. the law <laughs> itself being evil. Exactly. It's like a magnifying glass on you. The law is not made for a good person. I mean, yeah. police cars don't, or police 
police cars don't do anything. It's the people in them that do something. <laughs> a police <laughs> officer doesn't pull you over to give you a reward for driving good. No. I mean, they come yeah. and they tell you what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the law is made That's for true. bad people. <laughs> yeah. Verse 10, and this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. So the commandment was good, again, yeah. but it proved to result in death. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So what? Well, what's the problem then? All this good stuff, why did Paul end up coveting? <laughs> yeah. Sin is really deceitful. Uh, James um, talks about how sin comes about when, when you are deceived by your own lust. And so Paul was deceived by his own flesh. And then through the law, it killed him. He did the wrong thing. Then the law comes alive and whoop, there he goes. He died. So then he says, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never never be. be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Mm. That verse is kind of confusing. And I think it's supposed to be. Paul is explaining that that the knowledge of sin comes through the law. When you were a kid and your parents told you not to look at something, say you're driving on the road and your parents say don't look at that billboard what's your immediate thought let me look and i want to look at why. it <laughs> i want to see why they don't want me to look <laughs> if they hadn't said anything you wouldn't have known which <laughs> is kind of what paul was saying if i wouldn't have known about coveting some skeptics of the bible might say well that's not fair so god is being mean because you don't know what sin is unless you know what the law is well no 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 if you back up to romans chapter 2 it talks about how the Gentiles had no excuse because of the law of conscience. How, yeah. you know, there, there, there's no excuse for it, uh, for anybody. The law is actually a good thing because it helps people understand sin as where those who don't have it are kind of lost. Like they need to be brought to it. Mm-hmm. So you got to go through the law first before you get to the... Then you got to die to The it. gospel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't die to the law unless you come to the law first. Yep. That's why you shouldn't baptize little kids. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> Which is another reason why understanding this chapter is important is this is a very key passage to understanding accountability. Yeah, you can't save someone who so, doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, so that's it. But you lose it if you take this if this if you take this out of context, you'll lose this key uh, yeah. doctrine. So Paul through the rest of the chapter is explaining why law doesn't work. Why the law didn't work why it was never meant to last. So starting in verse 14, which is where we started within this podcast, Paul begins explaining what he meant in verse 13 when he says it wasn't the law which was good and holy that causes death, but sin that causes death through it. Because like I said, it's confusing. Paul probably was like, yep, that's confusing. So here, let me explain. (laughs) So he answers that question, how does sin... And death comes through what is good. Verses 14 and 25 perfectly and brilliantly flesh that out. And it would not have been as good and helpful if it was not in present tense. I know we already read this passage at the beginning, but verse 17 really irks my nerve a little bit when I read it. Because it's just something is wrong here with um, (laughs) like Paul being a Christian and this applying to him. He says in verse 17... 
So now no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. Sin dwells in it. I mean, First John 1, 7 says our sins are washed by Jesus' blood. In Acts twenty two sixteen, our sins, sins are washed, are away. washed <laughs> away in baptism. In chapter 8 of Romans, something else dwells in the Christian, the, the Holy Spirit. However, you are not you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, through the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Wait, what? Okay, uh, where does he say nothing good dwells in me? Oh, verse 18. I know that uh, nothing good dwells yeah, in me. Yeah, yeah. Is the Holy yeah, Spirit not good? I know, and it just it just makes me want to pound my fist and be like, what is going on? How is a Christian saying this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Is he saying the Holy Spirit isn't good? Is he saying bless, that, bless from me that his the Holy sins Spirit. weren't washed away in baptism? Like, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, sin does not dwell in the Christian. That That's a, a doctrinal fact. Yeah. Yeah. No, Actually, I'm glad I wrote that in my notes because that makes me mad whenever I read that. So. Okay, you got to remember that, that, that the body of sin was uh, done away with. So he, after he asked that question, he will set me beef. Beef? <laughs> he will set me beef. He will, set me, he will, he will send me beef. Anyone I want, want some beef? beef. He will send me free from the body of this death. Yeah, that, okay, that's where I was going. Remember, the, okay, the body of this death, a lot of people are going to tell you that's your physical body. But Romans chapter 6 says that the body of sin was done away with. Now, that's not talking about a physical body. That's talking about the body of sin body of this death so in verse 25 it says thank you sorry no thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord so then on one hand i i myself with my mind am serving the law of god but on the other my flesh the law of sin chapter 8 paul's gonna say something very important therefore there is now going back to now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law there are multiple laws in the scripture. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Okay, in Romans chapter 7, does that sound like, verses 14 through 25, does that sound like the law, the law of, the, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or the law of sin and of death? For, <laughs> it gets um, pretty clear here. I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. That's the law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, right? No. <laughs> no. Romans, no. The, we are set free from the law of sin and death. Yes. That law does not apply to us yeah. anymore. Um, that doesn't mean we're not going to still keep the commandments of God, but depends on how we approach those commandments, the why we're doing those things. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter, and, and he, he explains in, in verse 3 through 5, it says, For what the law could not do, that's the problem, the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God did what the law could not do. Uh, Jesus, he's called the prototype later in this uh, chapter. He did it first. He went and showed us how to do it. Now, did you ever watch Top Gun Maverick? I did. I finally watched it. Okay. So something that this kind of reminds me of in that movie was they were on that... That movie should have been called Mission Impossible. I mean, because <laughs> they were going on that, on that mission, which seemed impossible. And 
the one uh, one of the soldiers was like was talking to Tom Cruise's character Maverick, and she was like, "Sir, is this even achievable? Like, is this possible? Because they tried over and over again with the practice, and it failed over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, then they just thought it was impossible, and then." Maverick went but and he went, did it. They went and did it anyway. <laughs> he he went and and showed how, yeah. how to do it, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Something that was impossible, Jesus was like, "Nope, it's not impossible." He went and showed us how to do it. Mm-hmm. So he condemned sin in the flesh by not sinning, and on his and and when he and died on the cross, when our sin was placed upon him. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, so the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What does that mean? Cool. That means cool. <laughs> <laughs> the requirement of the law, let's see, you um, die, right? Dead to the law. You die if you sin. You're going to die either way, okay? So sin, death is a result of is the punishment of sin for sin eternal death so you can either have your physical death or you can die to the law in baptism so you get to choose which death you want but it's gotta be one of those <laughs> that could also mean the requirement of the law was to keep it right be perfect yeah jesus said be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect so that can happen through us or to us if we walk according to the spirit and not yep. according to the flesh. Now, what Romans chapter 7 is describing someone who's walking according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Yep. So it's all about mindset, where your mind is at. Yep. And he mentioned it earlier uh, in 6 too. It, it's another way of saying it, but consider yourself dead to the to the flesh uh or to sin if, if you consider yourself dead to something <laughs> you yeah. can't i mean it, you're not interested in it because you're you're dead to it and yeah. it's just another way of saying I a mean, similar thing it, it's true I, I think i may be wrong about that i think in the 1800s when slaves were set free i think there, there was a hard time with a mind adjustment with some of the slaves still thinking that they were slaves and because yeah. of that they acted like I, they acted like slaves as a part, as opposed to there were some who were like, nope, I'm free. I'm not acting like that anymore. And there was a huge uh, difference yeah. in the way that they were able to grow up and uh, move on in a post-slavery America. Same with any other situation. It, it, it depends on where your mind is at. Yeah, definitely. I think we're ready to hear some more pushback. And the first two uh, things that I brought up were not. I mean, they're not really an argument. They're just things that, at a glance, people come to have those beliefs. But here, here's an actual argument um, that people bring up on this topic of Romans 7. And I find this one to be the best one I, that I've heard. Well, they say two things here. They say that in verse 25, that when we answer this, and this comes back to you saying that a lot of people think it's tough the flesh who will set me free from this body of death thanks be to god through christ jesus our lord they say well they don't read on because the very next thing that you read is so then on the one hand i myself with my mind am serving the law of god but on the other with my flesh the law of sin they say well if paul was saying that this is uh in his past why would he say that right after saying that god delivered him 
Oh man, we were wrong. So <laughs> yeah, forget so, everything we said, guys. And and it's a valid argument. I mean, and I kind of agree that, is that a valid most argument. people most people do stop right in the middle of the verse, right there. They say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then that's the end of their quote, the end of their argument. And we do need to understand this second part. So in verse uh, 23, uh, he says, I see a different law in the members of my body waging a war against the law of my mind, which is making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So what is this other law? This means this is different than the law of God. This is different than the old law. This is something different. And obviously, this is not the law of the spirit, because <laughs> this, uh, I mean, yeah, the spirit is not going to be making you sin. So, so what is this other law he's talking about in 23, and he mentions it again in 25? The only way this makes sense, and this is my answer to why would he say that right there, he's continuing on with the wretched man uh, the, when he says wretched man that i'm he's saying the law of god he's serving the law of god and on the other hand the law of sin but what's the outlier what's the law that he doesn't mention the law of the spirit yeah <laughs> he didn't mention the law of the spirit you can't hold the law of the spirit in the same hand as the law of sin you can only do that with the old no law. the law of god here is is a reference to the, the law of moses yeah and because it was good. It was of God. It was not of sin. The law of sin basically is what he's describing here in Romans 7, how, or especially in verse uh, 13, that it was shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So through the commandment, sin became utterly sinful, how sin was uh, produced in him through that law. But in verse 2 of chapter 8, it says, the law of the spirit of Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of, and of death. So you're not under the law of the spirit and under the law of sin at the same time. And you, in verse 25, that, that Paul is explaining someone who's under the law of God and under the law of sin at the same time. Yep. Yep. So, and that, that, could only be his, that could only be his past tense self because he's saying the law of God, which he says that he died to in Galatians 6 and uh, Romans 8. So it could only be past tense. The other argument... Uh, that is connected to this sort of is in verse 22 says for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man so they say how if he if he was not a Christian how could he joyfully concur with the law of God here's the kicker what and they aren't remembering what was what was Paul before he was a Christian he was the Pharisee. Hebrew of Hebrews <laughs> he he believed in the law of God of course Very he zealous. concurred with the law of God He's talking about the old law. That's yeah. why, that's how we know the law of God. Well, part of how we know the law of God in chapter, I mean, in verse 25 is talking about the old law, not the law of the spirit. Here's another reason what I might mention. The, in chapter seven, the word spirit, I think is only mentioned one time. And in chapter eight, mentioned 22 times. 22. I didn't even That's know that. That's a lot yeah. of time. There's just something <laughs> shifting there. It's talking about a different law. Something different. It's a it's a new law. It's not the, He's not talking about the same thing. Why would he call the law of God the law of God up until, oh, well, now I'm, now I'm under the law of the Spirit. So those would be quick answers. I know that you could just reread chapter 6 and chapter 8, and it would um, 
we don't have time to go over we don't have time to go over second Corinthians chapter three but you should write that down because that chapter there's also a contrast between the law and the spirit and and, and you mm-hmm. you'll kind of see how there's a connection that there's always opposites between the law of uh, Moses and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us how, yeah. how the Holy Spirit is what uh, sets us free okay wait I gotta say one more thing about uh Galatians, we already mentioned it earlier. He mentioned that it set, it caused the old law tutor. Um, I'm going to go back to chapter 5, which is a good... Galatians in general is sort of parallel with Romans yeah. 7. But it says in verses 16 through 18, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, uh, let me just now, stop there. Doesn't that answer the question? I mean, he's talking about in, in chapter 7 of Romans, I can't do the things that I yes, want to do. And, it's and the same language. Verse 17, right he says, so that you may not do the things that you please. Yep. Here's here's the answer to that. Exactly. When you are struggling, set your mind on the themes of the spirit. Walk by the the spirit. If you do that, then you will you will not, not. carry <laughs> yeah. out the desire exactly. of the flesh. You'll not fall into the Roman seven trap. And I I like this answer to the uh, verse twenty five challenge because it's got the same players in it: the spirit, the flesh, and the law, and it explains it plainly. And um, I think these are as close to parallel passages as you're going to get. Let's move on to talk more about uh, Romans 8, because this is important for even more context that we just keep laying on top of each other. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 14, Paul says, I'm a flesh. Here it says, you're not in the flesh. They're yeah. not contradiction. It says he's sold yeah. into bondage. Chapter 6 says we're free. They're, they're not contradictions. It's, you just the like put in context. it's the It's not contradiction. It's context. And that's why we keep bringing it up. Yep. Is <laughs> If one is the direct opposite of the other, what? why is that? Well, the only answer could be that he is not in the spirit yet. This is the only, only, only rational explanation for why Romans chapter 7 is written in the present tense and why, yeah. why, why, why he says what he says. If you say that, and there are some Christians who, uh, who will say it's both. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, it's all talking about the Christians. Mm-hmm. We're slaves and not slaves at the same time. And you know, that's not how God works. No. God is rational. And he told Isaiah, come let us reason together. The Bible is going to make sense. Yeah, it's not. There, there's a lot of people out there saying the Bible doesn't make sense. Just trust God. Or not everything's good. It makes sense. God always appeals to man on the basis of reason. If something does not make sense to you, you, you got to figure it out. Now, I'm not talking about things like... How is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all God? No, like, we're not going to understand that stuff right now. Okay? <laughs> we're talking about things like this where it's not really meant. Paul is not writing all this stuff so that he can confuse you. No, it's not a riddle. <laughs> it's not a riddle. I also like to point out that chapter 
8 verse 7 sounds so, so much like chapter, I mean, verse 17, I think. Let me read chapter 7 and then I'll go back to it. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law, for it is not even able to do so. That was verse 7. Yeah, that was verse 7, chapter (laughs) 8. And it, it says the flesh is not even able to do so. Well, why does in verse, actually it's verse 16. He says, but I do the very thing I do not want to do. What? He he can't, it sounds like he's not even able to do so un, in the flesh. Yeah. And that's what it says in verse 8. I mean, chapter 8. It's an exact one-to-one comparison. Yeah. And right those here. who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it's unmistakable in my mind how could you mistake that he's not talking about himself in the flesh if that's what he says in chapter 8 yep (laughs) i love the book of romans it's so great all right so god did not make you too weak to resist temptation and if you say that's the case you're saying that you that your sin is god's is is god's fault and that that's exactly what gnosticism calvinism all that stuff is it's pointing the finger back at god i was made this way It's the opposite. God gives you strength to resist any temptation. I, I think I referenced 1 Corinthians 10, 13 earlier. Yeah. God will provide a way out. You've been freed from your slavery to sin, Romans 6, 6. Your old man is dead, and God has made you a new creation. I mean, why why would 2 Corinthians 5, 17 say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, if he's yeah. just a, if he, a wretched man? Yeah, <laughs> if he's just the same guy, but he believes in God. That's not... I mean, yes, you're the same guy, but, you're, but um, you have been made new. You're still a, just a sinner, just forgiven. Yeah. So now, yeah, uh, I was gonna say this is this is so important, and and why uh, what I, what we mentioned at the beginning, people take comfort in the idea that Paul he was an amazing guy, yes, and he still sinned and and struggled with sin, and he couldn't do anything about it. And they take comfort in that because it takes away the guilt because you're like, I didn't have a choice. I I was weak. I was in a moment of weakness and I had to do this thing and because of that. It, ta- it tones down your guilt. But the problem is, is when you don't understand that your sin is t- 100% your fault, 100% your fault, that takes away your responsibility. That mm-hmm. takes away your guilt, a lot of the guilt, but you need that guilt in order to repent. It's it's important. Make, make, make sure it's a it's a Peter kind of guilt and not a Jesus yeah, kind yeah, of guilt. <laughs> exactly. But that is important. God God made guilt for a reason. Yeah, that is. We need to take responsibility. Now, God through Christ and the law of the, of the Spirit can remove that guilt. You just gotta uh, repent. And uh, we're not saying that that once you become a Christian that you're never gonna sin again. What what we're saying is that well. I didn't write this verse down, but I should read it because later on, I, I don't know why I didn't write this down. It's so important. <laughs> I'll just read through 13. I could read the whole chapter, the rest of the Bible, actually. But <laughs> Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 11 through 13. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from your dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to uh, to the flesh. So we're not to live in a Romans 7 world anymore. Verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right. I don't know why I didn't write that down. That's like 
the Death Star explosion of this whole thing. <laughs> it's, so if you're if you're living the Roman Seven experience, experience. I, know, I know we're not supposed to say experience in Churches of Christ. That's a Pentecostal word. <laughs> but if you're living the Roman Seven experience, <laughs> you're, you're gonna die. You and now it says you must die. But if by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice the word pudding, not chocolate pudding, but <laughs> P-U-T-T-I-N-G. That means process, okay? That doesn't mean you automatically are perfect all at once. Obviously, we believe it's possible for a Christian to be perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah I want to make that a point is a lot yeah. of people will accuse you. If you take this position on Romans 7, they'll accuse you of like sinless perfectionism. Say, oh, well, you believe, you believe Jesus this, died for nothing. <laughs> yeah, you you can just sin that sin no longer is. You can throw to stones you and, at people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, and no, that's why we pray for young Christians, especially because they do get targeted by the devil. Very, I think both of us have sinned plenty times as Christians, but <laughs> yeah, after we were about it, but it's it, it is the process. We are putting to death the, the 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 deeds of the body, and I can confidently say not arrogantly, but because of God, that there were things I struggled with before I was a Christian that I don't anymore. Yeah. There are things that I have put to death. There's also things that I'm still working on. But my life, I don't consider myself a broken person. No. Like, I agree with what God said in Romans chapter 6, that we're, I've been freed from sin. We don't want to judge people. We want to help people. The New Testament... It's also, it's also called the law of love or the, the law of Christ. Like it's, it's a law about loving people, not uh, criticizing people because they're not where you think they should be. So we're, we're all in this together, but we are in the process of putting to death the deeds of the body by yeah. the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally agree. That's not what Romans 7 is about. It's, what, yeah. it's about the law. <laughs> it's about <laughs> what happens when you focus on law. When you when a person gets illegalistic, they fall into the Romans seven trap. It's so Romans seven is so cool. Like it has some some important theology, and it's so cool to understand this. It is. And it's, so, it's relatable. It's so sad that we've uh, all been there. Our fellow brothers and sisters sometimes can miss this because they're holding on to this false interpretation of Romans seven. And it's not something that's going to make you go to hell if you think that Saul, I mean, well, he was Saul. Paul, uh, <laughs> Paul struggled with sin and sometimes sinned inadvertently. Uh, <laughs> but, and yourself too. But it is going to put you in danger. And it's, it's, yeah. it's sad that you're missing out on this. If, if you end up, if you stay in, in that spot, I would say you, you are in a very dangerous downward spiral. Paul was talking about his experience be before he was a Christian. But if a Christian is trying to be justified by law, he is going to end up in that uh, experience. And that's not saying that God can't help help you help him get out of that. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to stay in that because uh, ultimately, like what he says here, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And you don't mm -hmm. want to live according to the flesh. You want to live according to the spirit so instead of setting your mind on the things of the flesh set your mind on, on the things of the spirit Here, here's an easier way to understand it fix your eyes on jesus <laughs> focus on him focus on in, instead of focusing on rules because that that's what he's talking about here romans chapter 7 is about a guy who's just focusing on rules you're gonna fail 
Focus on Jesus and who he yeah. is, and you will That's succeed. Where the the famous saying WWJD it comes in. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Yeah, thinking about uh, that in situations is, I mean, it's it's not a rule book. It's like if, if Jesus were here, or if if Jesus was in my position, what would he do? What's the right thing? Yeah, not focusing on what should I not do. Because yeah. then there's that thing. Well, don't look at that. Oh, now I want to see. Now I want to see what you're saying not to look at. It's just it's, like, why do you not a speed at a school zone? Is it because it's rules, or is it because you love kids and don't want to run them over? Now it's both, obviously. We do keep the commandments of God because they're important, but it's more so because we love God, and it's something that J- Jesus would do or would not do. So. Here's the takeaway, because we got to wrap this up for time's yeah. sake. Uh, takeaway is fix your eyes on Jesus and take responsibility for your sin. Yeah, if you sin, confess and repent. Yep. <laughs> Move on. And so next time... Yeah. We're going to talk about eldership in the church. <laughs> not not like senior citizens, but the specific <laughs> job and role of elders in your congregation. I got some thoughts on that. We're going to talk um, about bishops. There's controversy, and which there shouldn't be. Some churches have elders, some don't. Some are lenient on elder qualifications, and some are very strict on elder qualifications. So we're going to be talking about those things okay. next time. Let's do it. All Until right. then, see you, see you guys. guys.